0: Welcome to The Gathering at Adel. Today's message is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, titled The Parable of the Sower. Today, you know, we kind of talked a little bit last week on the parables, and we're going in, into Matthew chapter 13, and we, we took an extra week there. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, 13 we're going to be in verses 1 through 9 today. And it it seems weird for me to be able to stand up here and talk to you guys about perseverance. Today's topic, the whole idea, the good soil, is good soil is soil that perseveres to the end and produces fruit. And and it's weird for me to stand up here and say, man, we just got to persevere to the end. We got to fight through it. I mean, I'm a guy that my parents are still alive. Uh, I have no major health crisis other than being obsessed with dr. peppers, uh which might be a health crisis at some point in my life, but we're praying not but uh you know like like I mean, I can't stand up here, my kids are all healthy, happy, somewhat obedient like they 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 love the lord they're like i mean It feels awkward to tell a sermon, to give you guys a sermon about how, man, you got to persevere. My wife is completely obsessed with me, except even when she thinks I'm too funny. Like, my life is good. I've been blessed. But like, I'm supposed to talk to you about perseverance. I know what you guys have been through is way more than than I will ever go through. You guys guys are here today, and that's a miracle and a testament to the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And man, I just want to say, I'm proud to be your pastor, because I know it's not easy to get where you are right there. My life has been blessed beyond measure, and uh, just keep praying that it goes that way. It doesn't mean I'm more favored or more loved, you know? It's just that I've been dealt that, and I'm so thankful, and if something ever happens, I know uh, I've got a great message to, to fall back on and preach to myself that day, so... Perseverance isn't just about how we respond to the negative situations in our life. It's about how we walk steadfastly and faithfully every day, no matter what. Perseverance, this is a definition from Hitch, says that perseverance is continuing a course of action without regard to discouragement, opposition, or previous failure. Today, we're looking at good soil, and what does it mean to persevere? What what does that look like? And here's the main topic of today, the main point. I'm going to say it several times. It says, it's not what we go through in life that defines us. It's how we go through it. It's not what we go through in life that defines us. It's how we go through it. Not to minimize or negate anything that y'all have gone through, been through, but God is way more concerned with your maturity and your growth than your feelings. And that's hard to hear, you know? That was hard for me to write that down. That was hard for the Lord to preach that one to me. You know, like, He is more concerned about our growth and our maturity than our feelings. It's not what we go through in life that defines us, but it's how we go through it. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. You know, the same event can happen to two different people and produce two totally different outcomes. You can have one man that's born in, in poverty. I guess it would be one baby that was born in poverty. He's not a man yet. One baby born in poverty. He can grow up to live on government government assistance all his life. He can blame society and nature versus nurture, nurture versus nature, whatever the argument is, and he can blame all of that. And he can live a life that's full of poverty. Or another man can be can live a life of poverty. Hard work, through effort, through acknowledging the Lord, and that man can become Abraham Lincoln. Read the story on Abraham Lincoln, what he was born into, and you think, man, what? it's perseverance. Like, like one man can be burned so severely, and he, he can live a life that's full of shame and regret and pity, and another man can be burned so severely that it unlocks something deep within, inside of him. And in 1934, he breaks the record for the one-mile race. Glenn Cunningham. You see, you cannot allow what happens to you to define you because it's not what you go through in life that defines you, but it's how do you go through it. One person can be called a slow learner, written off, and then we can make excuses for the public school system and we can say it's not fair they left my child behind or one boy can be called dumb uneducated and that boy can become Albert Einstein you see the same thing can happen to two different people and experience two different outcomes i don't know what hands you've been dealt in life i don't know what's going on in your life at the moment But just because you're going through it doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't love you, that he's not faithful, that he's not good, because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. It's very less about what you're going through than what he's trying to pull out of you. There's a country song. I, I, I will admit to you, I don't really listen to country that much. Cliff, I apologize. That's offensive to him, you know? I don't really listen to any music other than worship music, but uh, there, there's a song, you know, it's like, I'm, go through hell, you know, maybe quicker before the devil even knows you're there. And isn't that about like what we're talking, when we're going through something, let's not wallow in it and go, oh man, poor me, look at this. Let's say, Father, what do you wanna teach me through this? Not, Lord, why have you brought this upon me and my family? He's like, Lord, what what do you want to teach me through this? Because I want to get through this as fast as I can, but I never want to have to repeat this scenario again. We're going to read Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large, large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down. And while the whole crowd stood there on the shore, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. So Father, we just come before you today. Here's your word. We open it up. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, that, that you would reveal the truths of your word, the truth of your character. Father, that we would see you more clearly and more rightly today than we ever have before. Father, just submit every word that I say to you. May may it be more than just my words. In your name we pray, amen. Matthew 13 is where Jesus begins to teach in parables. There's seven parables in the chapter of Matthew 13. And last week we talked about how parables Uh, He taught in them because they prepare our hearts to hear the truth. And they awaken something inside of us. Our spirits are awakened by them. Parables are a way to say some things that maybe people don't understand right away. But it reveals the truth in in a manner that we're not offended by it. And so Jesus taught in these parables. And in this parable, he talked about four different types of soil conditions. And how they respond to four different conditions of our heart. This is, this is not ag class. If it was, Mr. Claude would be up here teaching and I would be down there sitting. But this is, this, we're not going to be talking a lot about soils today. But those soils that he talks about are really conditions of our heart. He says the first one that, that it fell on the path. And so that condition we're going to call it is our hardened heart. The next seed that was sown, it says it was thrown uh, in rocky. You know, It was re- really shallow and we're going to call, call that the shallow heart. The next seed was sown, it was uh, thrown among thorns, and it says the thorns grew up and choked it out. We're going to call that one the divided heart. And the last one is good soil, and we're going to call that the pure in heart. You can probably look it up, and there's other names, or maybe there's similar names to those, but that's what we're going to go with today. We're called to be good soil. Of all the soils, the, the lesson in the parable is he's saying, hey, I want you to go and do that be the good soil. Good soil hears, holds on to, and produces. Another way to say it is that good soil perseveres to the end and produces fruit. Good soil takes all that comes its way, the good and the bad, and produces fruit. Because it's not what we go through in life that defines us, but it's how we go through it. And if we're going to become the good soil that God has called us to be, then we have to persevere and overcome the hard, the shallow, and the divided heart. So we're going to look at at verse number 4 again. It says, As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. The seed is sown. The word of God and the spirit of God speaks, but the hard heart doesn't understand, so the enemy snatches it away. When we look at our, our hardened hearts, that's one thing that prevents us from receiving the word of God, hearing it, holding on to it, and producing fruit. The hardened heart comes by two instances that, that I see in scripture. One is by sin, and the other is by circumstances. And so we're going we're gonna to read real fast that. that uh, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 3 with me. But it says our hearts can become hardened by sin and by circumstances when we believe the lies of the enemy over the words of our Father. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3, and I want you to read. This is another thing that my wife says is that I don't uh, provide enough extra scripture context. So I want you to know here's some extra scripture context. So if you talked to her, I was very serious and provided extra scripture context. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing and in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. He's talking about sin. He he says they've betrayed the word, that they've gone their own way. Sin hardens our hearts because it takes our worship off of the Father and places it onto that something. When we sin, it's an interesting way to think of this, but when we sin, we momentarily take our worship off of the Father and onto that thing. That's why we'll allow pride to puff us up because in that moment, we're allowing pride to give us what only the Father can give us. We're taking our worship off the Father, and we're putting it on the way that people talk about us, good, or we make ourselves feel better. We, sin hardens our heart because it takes our worship off of the Father and puts it on to other things. Like when we strive for acceptance from other people, When we allow other people to determine our worth and our value, that is a sin. When I allow you to determine my value, whether you, if you say that I'm a good pastor or a bad pastor, I'm allowing you to determine my my value and my worth, and that is sin because I'm caring about your words more than I care about the Father's. When you allow other people to determine your worth and your value, it's sin, because you're allowing them to tell you what is acceptable and what you should do instead of what the Lord requires of you and what he thinks of you. That, that when we find pleasure in food or drink, we're taking our worship off of the Father and we're putting it on food and drink. And we're, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not against a good meal, like a good, not healthy meal, like a good, bad meal, like I love that. But when we find our pleasure solely in that, then I'm taking my worship off of the Father and I'm putting it on that. When, when I find pleasure in Dr. Pepper, you know, you know, like, like we joke about Dr. Pepper, or not we, I joke about Dr. Pepper and how I love it. But when I find my pleasure in that instead of the Lord, something's wrong. When I'm sad and I go and drink a Dr. Pepper. That's sin. When I'm stressed, where do I go to find my pleasure? Dr. Pepper. When we find our pleasure in food or drink, it's a sin. Because he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That Dr. Pepper or whatever yours is, maybe it's chocolate or something else, But whenever you find your pleasure in that, it's momentarily. You're never filled, you're never satisfied. It just pushes it off to the next craving, to the next thing that you need it for. When we allow sin to creep into our lives, it hardens our hearts, because now I don't have to run to the Father to find acceptance, to find pleasure, to find love, because I can go to these other things. And now I don't need the Father. My heart is hardened towards him because I can get it anywhere else. Mark chapter 8, scripture references. Here we go. Mark chapter 8, there's a, there's a story. I'm just going to read a couple of verses, it's starting in verse 11. It says the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and went to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread, and had only one loaf with them in the bread, in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets were full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they said, when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? Our hearts can become hardened by our circumstances. We can begin to allow our circumstances to shape and to shift our view of God. Because we... We determine our value and worth by what's going on around us. If if things are going great in my life, my my wife loves me, she's talked to me today, she made breakfast, whatever, like, man, things are good, right? Because my circumstances are good, right? Man, I, I get an encouraging text from one of you, like, man, you're doing a great job, pastor. Man, I'm like, oh, yeah, so good. The Lord loves me. Everything's going great. As soon as somebody sends me a text message that's like, Or maybe it's a conversation where it's like, hey, man, you could really improve on that. World crashes down. I'm crumbled. When we allow our circumstances to shape or to shift our view of God, then our hearts will become hardened. Because we'll we'll begin to equate sickness with God is upset with me. We begin to equate well-being with that I'm loved and highly favored. We'll begin to equate wealth and possessions that God is pleased with me. We begin to equate when, I have le- when I'm in lack this month, when, man, this month is going to be tight. We begin to equate that, that I've done something wrong, that I've angered the God. Like, man, God, why would you turn your back on me? When I'm sick, I'm loved and he is good. When I'm well, I'm loved and he is good. When I'm rejected by you, I'm loved and he is good. When I have plenty, I'm loved and he is good. When I'm in lack, when I'm in need, I'm loved and he is good. My circumstances do not shift the unchanging nature and promises of God. If, if today I'm dealt with a tragic blow to my health, to my well-being, to my family, it does not change the fact that I am loved and that he is good. Yes, yeah. I, I, I can get cancer tomorrow and now I'm loved and he is good. That, that doesn't change anything. I could have zero dollars to pay bills this next week. I'm still loved. He is still good. Like My circumstances do not change my view of God. We cannot allow that to happen. Because then all of a sudden we begin to view God as the genie in the bottle. We start rubbing on that lamp to make him come out to make my wishes come true. No matter what you're facing today, tomorrow, or next year, he is faithful and he's able to do what he says he can do. If he isn't delivering you from it, he intends to lead you out of it. If he isn't delivering you from it, he intends to lead you out of it. So many times we can feel left all alone. Like, oh Lord, I can't get rid of this. I keep struggling with this sin. Like, why won't you just take it from me? If he isn't delivering you from it, he intends to lead you out of it. So many times we want the shortcut. We want to just like bypass it. Nope, just remove the desire from me altogether. Man, wouldn't that just be wonderful? But if he does that, then where's the growth and maturity on our part? Where's the fruit of the spirit that's self-control? If we just allow him to just take it all and oh, God's gonna take care of it, he just takes it all. Oh, I'm sick and boom, automatically I'm healed instantly. But but what if you're not delivered from that? Well, then he intends to lead you out of it. What if we begin to view our circumstances as an opportunity to minister and to witness, to share the gospel? What What, what if we began to go, man, Lord, I I really don't want to be sick today. But if you would have me go to the doctor today and there's someone that's in need of the gospel, if if that's the only purpose that I'm sick today, man, I'll take it and I'll share the gospel. If you've chosen me, Father, to to raise a special needs kid so that I can provide hope to those around me, man, that, then like Mary said, let it be done unto me as you have said. What if we began to quit viewing our circumstances as like negative, but yet opportunities for the gospel. Jesus said, hey, the, the people said, hey, we'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And he said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Did Jesus go, oh, you don't want to, gosh, it's a rough life. I've got no place to lay my head. No, Jesus said, man. I want you to come, but I want you to know that there's no place to lay your head. He wasn't griping about his circumstances. What, what did he say? He said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What, what if we began to say, hey, for the joy set before me, I don't have money to pay my electric bill today, but man, I'm not going to allow that to rob me of joy. I'm not just going to have my head up in the clouds and like, oh, the Lord's just going to send money and it'll show up in the mailbox. I'm not saying that either, but what I'm saying is we cannot allow our circumstances to rob us of the very thing that only God can provide us. Verse number five, it, let me flip back here. Verse number five says, other seed was, fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. The seed was sown, but the soil isn't deep, and therefore there aren't any roots. A person with a shallow heart is superficial, emotional, and there's no depth of conviction. A person with a shallow heart doesn't have any roots or foundation, so that when hard times or persecution comes, the shallow heart falls away. The, the the soil that had no depth meant that as soon as the sun came out, trials or persecution, hard times, it it was gone, gone, withered away. We fall away. It's like the wise and foolish builders that we talked about in Matthew chapter six, maybe it's seven, it's, I think it's seven. Matthew seven, right? One one built his foundation on, on rock, a firm foundation, and the wind came and the the, the storms came, the wind came, and the house was still standing. The, 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 the problem with the shallow heart is there's, there's no root, there's no foundation. Like we have these emotional experiences, but yet there's no foundation to it. There's no encounter with the living God. Like, like today, I mean, like for me, at least in worship, had an amazing time, and there was an emotional encounter. But if that's all that it was for me today... Like, man, Lord, I feel so good. I'm praising your name. Yep, I hear what you're saying. If that's as far as it gets, then that's a shallow heart. But if the Lord says, All right, you say you praise me. You say that you love me. You give me the highest place, the highest praise. So what about this in your life right now? The shallow heart dismisses that. But the good soil says, first, ouch, and then, you're right, Lord. And I don't want to be the shallow ground. I want to give you the highest, place in that, the highest praise in the highest place. And that means that I need to say no to this. And then I begin to pray. Father, I pray for roots to begin to grow tomorrow. I pray that when I'm tempted with this, that you would just give me the strength to endure, that I, that I would not be short-sighted in my battle against sin. You see, there's an emotional response to the gospel, but it doesn't penetrate the heart. We seek experiences instead of encounters. The shallow heart would rather go and hear the best worship band and see a concert rather than encounter the living God. It's not a condemnation of Kelly, but she's not the best worship pastor. She's not the best singer, the best keyboard player. If you want to go listen to the best, it was here before you got here, Seth, you know, he, he's the best, you know, <laughs> you want to go and hear that and you want, you want the lights to move with the beat and you want the fog machine and you want that emotional response and it sounds great and everything musically is good, vocally it's perfect, they're right on key, great, you can go and have that and you can experience it and yet never encounter him. You can go and man, you can walk out of there. You can check in at whatever church that is going through your head right now. Repent, don't judge them because not one's going through my head, right? You can check in, man, Jeff Hopkins is here. And you can let everybody know that you experienced it here and you can leave and never encounter him. You can go and hear a sermon, not a shocker, I'm not the best out there. Y'all figured that out by now. You can go hear the best sermon you can go hear about how God is good, everything's gonna be okay, he's love, and man, everybody's gonna get a second chance, there's no hell, like this is stuff that's really being preached right now. Like, you can go and hear that, and man, you'll go be with him by and by. You can hear all that stuff, and you can experience it, and you can feel good about yourself, and not one time feel convicted about your sin. Not one time allow the Holy Spirit to go, man, that's not right. You 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 wanna go there, but you're you're dragging all this with you. Right? Like, like you want to you want to be a son and a daughter, but yet you don't view yourself as that. You you want to hear everything's gonna be okay, that God loves you, that God is love. But then what do I deal with? All of this stuff. You can go and do that and you can experience God and be like, man, that was so good. And you can post on Facebook the four points of the sermon, but yet Monday morning you wake up and you're not changed at all because you never encountered him. It tickled your ears. You filled the seats. You gave money because the pastor was good. But yet there was no life change, no heartfelt. You walked out the same person that you came in. If you look at Jesus Christ, everyone that encountered him was different. The only ones that weren't were the religious leaders. Everybody else was different. There was women that were were changed. Their their family histories were changed. They were sinners. They were adulterers. They were forgiven. There there were men that were blind from birth. I mean, do you remember the story in John chapter 9? The man that was born blind, he encountered Jesus, and he was changed in such a way that even his parents and his friends that have known him his entire life didn't even recognize him. You don't get that from an experience. You don't get that from hearing a good sermon. You get that from encountering the living God. Jacob wrestled with God, and it said from that moment on, he walked with a limp. Why? Because you walk differently when you encounter the Lord. If, if you walk out of here the same, I've failed to allow you to encounter him. If you came here and you walk out the same, you're carrying the same baggage that you came in with. I'm so sorry. Because an encounter with him will change your life forever. But the shallow heart doesn't want to hear it and they don't want to see it. They don't want to experience it because we sacrifice his presence for our feelings. We would rather stay at an arm's distance from him because we can feel better about ourselves because we don't have to face the fact that we are not him, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We'll go and we'll hear, hear a sermon about forgiveness and repentance, about being generous with money and reprioritizing our lives. And that, that sounds great. And we're like, yes, I'm all for that. But as soon as the rubber hits the road, it's too costly and we turn back. We're willing to forgive. Like you're like, man, that's a great sermon on forgiveness. And then someone offends you. And it's egregious. And everyone agrees with you that that person's a jerk. And then you're like, no, you're right. I get to hold on to that one. We hear a sermon about repentance and we're like, yeah. And we're willing to have a conversation with God how we lie and we struggle with that or we drink too much Dr. Pepper or we still smoke when we know we shouldn't and we'll have those conversations but yet we're not willing to have the conversations of the hiddenness in our hearts where there's addiction to porn or, or we feel bad about, we, we have body image issues or, or we don't think that we're worthy to do that. We'll repent of lying, of drinking too much Dr. Pepper but the honest conversation that says, man, the, Lord, there, there's a sin that nobody else knows about. We won't do that because that requires good soil. That requires deep roots. Because if I can confess before my father and if I can confess before my brothers and sisters and I have roots, I'm not shaken. I'm not uprooted whenever you hear the the thoughts that go on in my head. The, the, The sin that's in my heart. We're willing to be generous with money and then all of a sudden a bill comes in unexpected and our wallet tightens up. Our hands become clenched because there was no encounter. There was an experience. It, as pastor said, man, give, give and give and give and you're like, I'll do it. And Then a bill comes. You're like, oh, I, I can't do that. I won't have enough if I give. And we forget about the widow who made a meal who is making her last meal for her and her son? And the prophet comes in and he says, "Hey, make me a meal." And she says, "Sir, but this is all I have. I'm going to make the last meal of me and my son. We're going to die." She makes a meal, and from that day forward, the cupboard never goes bare. Yes, sir. You don't get that from an experience. You only get that from an encounter with Him. We're willing to reprioritize our lives. You come and you'll hear a sermon about giving God space and time and our budgets and our schedules. Those are words that I say and you'll hear it all over the internet. We're too busy, we're too busy, we need to rest. And we're like, yes, I agree with that, good. And we're willing to do that. And then junior will get invited to play select ball that requires you to be gone on Sundays. And you go, well, hey, it's a one in the opportunity, one in lifetime opportunity for junior. We got college scouts that are gonna be there. We gotta do this. What good is it to gain the whole world yet to forfeit your soul? We're willing to do that. A person who who experiences God is willing to do it until it gets too costly. But when you've encountered him, and you've seen him rightly seated on his throne, then you tell Junior, hey, you know what? Man, we'll play in every game they have on Saturday. But a game on Sunday we're not going to do. We must allow the word of God and the spirit of God to take hold and to take root. Number seven, I promise you a shorter sermon. I lied. Can I confess that before you today? (laughs) Oh, man. Number seven, other seed fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it. It's the divided heart. A person with a divided heart is concerned and consumed with the things of this world. A person with a divided heart allows the cares and the the anxieties of this age to choke out the gospel in them. For adequate sermon reference and scripture references for my wife, Matthew chapter 19. Verse number 16. I joke about that, but honestly, what, what else is there more pure than the word of God? Like what? We should not feel ashamed about reading the word more than I talk. (laughs) If we just stood up here and read the word more than than I spoke, y'all would be more blessed by it. I promise you that. Then someone, then just then someone came up and asked him, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He asked. Jesus answered, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I've kept all of these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. The deceitfulness of money will choke out the word of God. We can follow all the written commands of God but still hold on to the treasures in our hearts. A person with a divided heart will walk away from an encounter with Jesus and be sad. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. The divided heart is a person that is consumed and concerned with the things of this world. James 4, 4 says, you adulterous people, Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? The more we are preoccupied with the things of this world, the less fruitful we will be for the kingdom of God. The divided heart is one that has all the things going on. The cares and the anxieties, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of money, you can't do it no man can serve two masters. You'll either serve one and hate the other. You know, like like you just can't do it. You'll love one, you'll hate the other. The divided heart is, is the guy that's trying to play both sides of the field. He, oh yeah, I, I go to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time it's open. But after that, it's done. And then, then I got the rest of my time. Oh, I, get, I give the Lord 10%. I tithe, just like it says in the Old Testament. But that's it. The 90% is mine. The divided heart is the one that is concerned with the things of this world. I mean, man, this world does not matter. I, I, I know that seems counterculture. it seems counter to what all the news agencies are, are saying right now. I, I mean, do, does it matter? Do, does any of this matter? Does it matter like if your car door doesn't open from the inside, you got to roll down your window, open it from the outside? Like, does that really matter? Is that embarrassing? Like, I, I don't know why we get so consumed with the things of this world. Our, our houses, like, I mean, just me, my dad, I think it was my dad, we were just having a conversation the other day about, like, now, can you imagine having a house with just one bathroom in it? That, that, that's almost unheard of right? Like every house has to have two bath. Like it's never enough. Not only do we have to have cars, now we have to have cars that, that drive themselves. It, it's never enough. We, we are so consumed with the things of this world, with the cares and the anxieties of this world. We spend so much time talking politics. So much time. I mean, he might not be your favorite, he might not be your favorite, but none of them have ever saved you. None of them have ever went on a cross and spilled their blood out for you. I don't care how good they are. The only, man, we're going to get lost in this. When we get consumed with politics, it's out of a selfish ambition. We want certain people in office so that we can have more of our money. We're, we're all mad right now about student loans being forgiven. Why? Because that's more taxes for me. That's more of my money, that, that my hard earned money that I'm going to have to give up now. And I'm not like condemning you. That's me too. I'm saying that too. But does it matter? Is it my money, anyways? Can the, can the Lord bless me above and beyond what, what the church pays me? Yes. Like, I mean, am I limited? is the Lord limited to bless me with, with my own bank account? No, it says that He can meet uh, our our needs according to His riches and glory, not mine. He meets my needs not based on my bank account, anyways. So why am I consumed with how much money I have in my bank account? It's irrelevant to God. I mean, we spend so much of our time consumed with these things, and they don't matter. Number eight, or number verse eight. We're going to get in trouble on that one. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit. Some 100, some 60, and some 30 times what was sown. This is called the pure in heart. The pure in heart hears, holds on to, and produces fruit. The pure in heart perseveres to the end. The plan of the enemy is to still kill, and destroy. To get you to quit before... Finding out exactly who God is and who you are. That's all he wants you to do is quit. He, he doesn't want you to like denounce the Lord. He doesn't want you. He just wants you to just slowly fade away and just quit. Yeah. Give up. Turn your back on him. Slowly quit attending church. Slowly quit being in fellowship with believers. Slowly quit. Just fade away into the background become irrelevant. The good soil perseveres to the end. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're about to go through. But what I can tell you is good soil looks past all the things, sin and circumstances, looks past all the cares of this world, looks past the deceitfulness of money and says, man, I'm going to go for that we are called to be the good soil, all of us. Like, there, like It's not this predetermined before the turn of time that, man, uh, you're gonna be good soil. I've elected you to be good soil. You're gonna be shallow and you're gonna be hardened and, and you guys are gonna be divided. Like, we're all, we're all good soil. He's called all of us to be good soil. He's equipped all of us to be good soil. He's done everything that is required for all of us to be good soil. All we have to do is persevere. The enemy is going to come at you with everything he has. He probably already has. Our response is to persevere to the end. The pure in heart does not mean not tempted by sin or never give in to sin. It doesn't mean that there aren't circumstances that are difficult or trying. But the pure in heart don't blame God or push him away. They draw near to him. The pure heart overcomes the hard heart. By not blaming him or pushing him away, but by drawing near to him. The pure in heart doesn't mean that their soil was never shallow. But the pure in heart removes the rocks so that the nutrients, it can get the nutrients it needs and roots can be established. The pure in heart take the emotional experiences and put them into practice. The the good soil at one time could have been shallow. Shallow. But the good soil persevered through the shallow times, took the emotional experiences and encountered the living God. The pure in heart doesn't mean that there aren't worries in this world, but the pure in heart cast their cares on him. The pure in heart become that way by removing the things of this world and by, by, by adding the things of the spirit. It's not just like naturally, hey, I'm just going to persevere. I'm just going to grit, my teeth bear, I'm just going to do it. The pure in heart go, we're gonna remove these things and we're gonna add these things. The, the pure in heart say, I'm gonna allow the Holy Spirit to work through me. And out of my life, out of that, perseverance will become will come joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Like, like we're going to begin to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. When we remove those things, when we remove the thorns, like good soil isn't just good soil because it was free of thorns from the very beginning. If you're going to have good soil that produces fruit, that means that you have to go out there and pull out the thorns and the weeds. It doesn't just happen by coincidence. The good soil and the pure heart persevere to the end and produce fruit. I'm going to read to you, I I don't know if you've ever read this, uh, DC Talk has one called uh, The Voice of the Martyrs, there's another one called uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, read that and don't cry, if you do, you're a robot, I promise you. Here's a story, it's called The The Last Scottish Martyr. The priest, this is from, uh, he's 82, one year, 82 years old, is Walter Mill from Scotland in 1551. The priest, Andrew Oliphant, faced the feeble old man. Will you recant? If not, I will sentence you. And Walter Mill replied, I am accused of my life. I know I must die once and therefore, as Christ said to Judas, what thou doest, do quickly. I will not recant the truth. I am corn, not chafe. I will not be blown away with the wind or burst by the flail. I will survive both. Walter Milne, once a parish priest, heard the gospel and was converted. He was put in prison for his beliefs, but he escaped. He hid for a while and then began to preach again. He was forced into hiding a second time, but was finally captured and tried for heresy at the age of 82. At his trial, he was so feeble, both because of his age and the mistreatment he suffered in prison, that he couldn't climb the platform. Nevertheless, when he began to speak, he made the courtroom ring with such courage and power that the Christians who were present rejoiced. One by one, his beliefs were examined, and he did not give in. Oliphant sentenced Milne to be burned as a heretic, but his boldness and faith had so moved the heart of the mayor that he refused to be his judge. In fact, the whole town was so offended with Milne's unfair sentence that they refused to sell the bishop a single rope or tar barrel. After much delay, everything was ready. When Oliphant ordered him to climb up to the stake, he refused. No, by the law of God I am forbidden to kill myself, but if you will put me up there and take part in my death, I will go up gladly. Oliphant lifted the old man up to the stake himself. Milne prayed, then addressed the people. And he said, Dear friends, I do not suffer today for any crime, but only for the defense of the faith of Jesus Christ, as set forth in the Old and the New Testament. As other faithful martyrs have offered themselves gladly, knowing that they will receive eternal joy, I praise God today that he has called me also to seal up his truth with my life. I, I have received this life from him, and I willingly offer it for his glory. If you too would escape eternal death, depend only on Jesus Christ and his mercy that you may be delivered from eternal judgment. While Milton spoke, there was a great mourning in the crowd, and as the fire was lit, he cried, Lord, have mercy on me. Pray, people, while there is time. The crowd was greatly stirred and moved by his words and prayers. Their hearts were so inflamed by his death that thousands joined him in his faith. So many declared themselves willing to die for their beliefs that the Scottish government re-examined their laws, permitting heretics to be executed. The Lord told the Apostle Paul, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Walter Milne was living proof of this promise. As he entrusted himself to Christ and allowed the Spirit of God to work in him, his boldness and strength increased more and more causing all who heard him to see that his faith was certain and true. The good soil perseveres to the very end and produces fruit. Walter Mill did not view his life as his own. He viewed it as a tool of the gospel. If at 82 years old he could be counted worthy to die for the sake of the gospel so that thousands could be saved then what if whatever situation you're going through right now, you deemed not your own and you counted yourself worthy to receive the blessing and maybe, maybe just one person hears your testimony and gives their life to the Lord. Is it my life worth the life of one of my brothers and sisters? My life is not valued more than any of yours If through my life and through my death one person can come to know Christ, then I count myself worthy of the gospel.